awesome. Hey, um, so good. I love it. <laughs> your brother. I do you trust your brother with anything? <laughs> Any opinion? I mean, I love your brother, but. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, lovely to be here. Lovely to be back here. Uh, first, I think it's the second time, which means I don't get a free meal, which is a bit sad as a Scotsman. <laughs> um, just uh, uh, put it out there if you haven't heard, maybe I'm Scottish. <laughs> And uh, we've got 20 years, but this is as good as it gets in terms of the accent, so um, just pray for the gift of interpretation or whatever. But um, no, it's so good to be in the room with you all, and um, I was, it's a lot of promo of Lyle Bay. I was at Lyle Bay this morning sharing uh, a, you know, a rant, and um, you know, they've got lots of kids, and you said before, it's so good with the kids. Like, no, it's so good without the kids. So I've, got, <laughs> I've got kids, and um, our Church up in Wanganui, he's got a lot of crazy kids and it's just exhausting, so it's so nice to be away from my family, away from my children, away from other people's children, they're all just now actually at church and uh, this, is, this is the dream. <laughs> anyway, that's nothing to do with what I'm sharing, but um, I was asked to come and share a yarn, um, and so when I thought, and I heard you guys just speak on Luke, but I thought I'd be that annoying guest preacher and not speak on Luke. Um, I thought, I just thought, you know, I want actually, instantly came in my head, I want to share from one of my um, favourite biblical passages, which is in John 9, alright? So, the way I usually do it is I usually go to the scripture, say it, which I'm going to do, and then share some thoughts, and then um, maybe land up with a wee personal story, and hopefully there'll be some gold in there, and God does this thing, and the note taker, is it this guy? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't critique me too much. How long do you guys usually speak for? I didn't even ask. Is this a five minute, ten minute, half an hour? What's this? Just over an hour. No, that's fine. Anyway, um, thanks for that prayer. But I'm going to say, so it's John 9. Now, just to put it out there, and you'll hate this, bro, because you're critiquing me. But um, this, is from, <laughs> this is from the message version. And the only reason it is, again, sorry, um, is because I think Eugene Peterson does the best job with the Greek again. Um, I'll, I'll stop referring to you every five seconds. <laughs> but I think he it gets brutalised by a lot of the Bibles this passage, but I think he does a brilliant job of um, getting the intent over. So I'm going to read this out from John 9. It's a stunning story, and hopefully by the end you've tuned into my voice. All good? You with me? Right, here we go. John chapter 9. Here's a wee story. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there's plenty of light. In fact, I am the world's light. He said this, that he spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste in the blind man's eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. And the man went and he washed and he saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, whoa, 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 is this the, the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him, all right. But others objected, it's not the same man at all, it just looks like him. But he said, it is me, the very one. And they said, how did your eyes get open? And he said, a man named Jesus made a paste, rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And I did what he said. And when I washed, I saw. So where is he? I don't know, he said. So they marched the man to the Pharisees. 
And the day when Jesus made the pace and healed the blindness was the Sabbath. And the Pharisees grilled the man. And some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man, Jesus, can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. What a bloody story. <laughs> that is an absolute stunner, but flipping mental. <laughs> like it's straight up nuts. I mean, we've got to listen to it and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight up, I mean, just before I get into the message, think about this. There's a blind dude, he's been blind the whole time. Jesus comes along and goes, <laughs> takes the man, makes a paste, rubs it in his eyes. Mate, if this was on Facebook Live, he'd be cancelled yesterday. I mean, it's so inappropriate, it's risky, right? And then he tells the blind guy, who's blind by the way, whatever we call that, go find the pool of Siloam. Find it. It's like hide and seek with the blind guy. That's just flipping up. You said, you know what I mean? There's so much going on. And he goes off and he gets, anyway. We'll come back to that. So I'm free sermon before the sermon, but it's just a crazy, outrageous, but almost, but all, at the same time, stunning story. So that's the one I want to focus on today. And uh, yeah, here we go. So a little bit of context: Jesus has just had a big argument with um, the kind of the religious leaders, the priests, and uh, people in power. Um, they've just got to a point in the, the temple where they're thinking, "Let's have another crack at throwing Jesus off a cliff again." Happened a couple of times, almost. And uh, obviously Jesus goes, yeah, time to go, lads. So he takes off and his disciples are following. And um, it says that as uh, Jesus was walking out of there, or down that street, or down that colonnade, um, the disciples probably in a buzz going, oh man, we showed the man, we showed the people, man, what, what's what with everyone else? They suddenly realise, I reckon, oh, hold on, Jesus is no longer with us. And in my imagination, in that story, everybody turns back and they see that Jesus has stopped because he saw a man. But they look back and they probably go, Jesus is with the cursed. Jesus is with the damned. Because <laughs> he's with the blind man. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, I know you're all hugely biblically literate, like my mate here. I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> promise me. I just can't help it. Right? But, um, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. I like you really. So rugged. But um, in that culture, in that culture, like the worst affliction in that day and age, in that particular Jewish culture, was to be blind. Like you couldn't get a more ungodly thing to happen to you than to be born, or to be blind, far less born blind. Um, because for a blind person, the belief was that the light, light was not coming in and going out of your eyes, right? And so the thing was, well, you know, symbol of God is light, so if, therefore if there's no light, it means that God's presence has been removed. So when they saw this blind person, this blind person, by that point in history, had come to represent the very opposite of God's presence. In fact, most people just leave him to die, but they actually had a, they had a, a role in society, right, the blind person. And the, does people know this? The blind person's role, I swear, the blind person's role in our society, the reason he kept on giving and kind of did a lot of charity and gave out to make himself look good, the reason he kept on going was was that person acted as a reminder to the surrounding community that God is a God who judges. So watch out, because God judges. And that was their role. Keep us fearful, keep us flipping worried, keep us in our place, know your place. That was the role of the blind person. Horrific, right? Horrendous, but that was the, that was the reality. So, you know, these disciples didn't even notice because they've got so used to not noticing the blind person. And when they do, it's like this awful, oh, awkward feeling, right? So what do you do with that? 
It's horrible. It's also something you don't want to touch. You don't want to, can I get transferred to curse or whatever the hell's going on for the person? So you stay away. There's also this person kind of represents this whole belief and this theology. This is too much to handle. God, it reminds me, God's the God that judges. Oh my, God, God's the God that does awful things. But God's a dick. Do you know what I mean? Too bad your notes, man. Look at that. Sorry, but that's the thing. So they've walked past Jesus has kind of done it, but Jesus has stopped. And Jesus hasn't walked past the blind man. And Jesus, being Jesus, man, he's annoying. He's stopped, and he's got low, and he's having a wee corridor with the blind man. And they're left kind of looking back, going, oh, check, here's Jesus. And so they come back, and what do they do? Well, they do what I think a lot of us do, what I do at times, when you're in an awkward, uncomfortable situation. Let's have a discussion about the issue. Let's have a discussion about the topic that kind of removes myself from the actual person in pain. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> Is it just me? Just me? Okay. <laughs> but they have this common thing. Who, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. <laughs> the, um, the, the popular theological thought of the day was that if somebody was born blind, the most popular belief at that point in history was if you were born blind, it was because the mother, this is a bunch of guys that come up with this, that the mother had sacrificed food to a, a foreign god, and so God cursed the mother, and the child was born blind, right? That was the, the popular belief. So that's why they're asking, who, who sinned? Was it him, or was it actually the stories about the mom sinning? Is that, is that true, Jesus? So they're getting into this debate. And Jesus, as Jesus does, sees it all. Jesus sees the, the pain of the, of the blind man who's been disregarded, who's seen as the cursed, who's seen as the damned, who's overlooked, who's seen as dispensable. But he also sees the pain in the disciples, right? He sees the pain in the disciples' conversation about this horrendous kind of social reality that just oppresses people that are already freaking struggling, right? That causes them to have this awkward feeling in their gut about this God who seems so fucking horrible at times. It doesn't make sense with their experience of it. Jesus sees all that stuff, all that pain, all that mess, all that unhealthiness, and he cuts right through it. It's quite beautiful, because you've got, you've got centuries of ingrained belief, and Jesus goes, nah. I love it. Nah. You're asking the wrong question. Sorry, what? Yeah, you're asking the wrong question. In fact, that isn't even the question. The question is, the question God wants you to be asking is, what can God give you that? It's a complete turnaround, right? Like, it's the thing that keeps me up in the morning. Like, what? Not like, what caused this? There's a, there's a time and a place to ask the cause and the cause stuff of certain things in society. You know, like, like the kid that's gone off the rails down the road in my neighbourhood. What's caused it? Is it the folks? Is it the OT system? Is it the, is it the school? What, you know what I mean? We can just go down that rabbit hole and stay in that rabbit hole for so bloody long looking for someone to blame because it's easy. I guess find someone to blame. It's, you know? Family violence next door to my house, sorry. Who do I look to blame? Ah, it's easy to talk about it and find someone to blame. It's just the guy, or it's the owner, or it's the freaking system, or it's the black. You know what I mean? There's, there's time and place for that, but very rarely is it, what could God do here? You know what I mean? And the exciting part with Jesus, he's always asking, God's always asking, what could the presence of the Spirit do in this space? I love that. That's what keeps me going in this journey. That's what God keeps on inviting me into. What can God do in this space? So God... Jesus brings that, that kind of 
that challenge, that kind of invitation. Are you with me? Is this interesting? Or is this interesting? Yeah. He brings this kind of this, this thing, he cuts through all this theology that's unhealthy, he cuts through all this philosophy that's unhealthy, he cuts through the kind of the stuff that's dividing them from him and all this kind of carry on. He says, now look for what God can do. While the light is here, while I'm here, do this. But he doesn't just talk about it. He does something. And the thing he does is proper mental, right? <laughs> but I think there's some beautiful little lessons in what he does. So Jesus, look for instead what God can do. And then it says, he gets down. I love the fact that he has to get down to the ground. He gets down low to this guy. He's sitting there begging. Can't see. Doesn't really know what's going on. But just knows there's someone there that's caring. He's talking to him like a human being with dignity. He gets down low to him. Internet. Mission. The mission we're called to. The invitation that God calls us into his communities is to get intimate with the broken. Intimate with those in need. He gets intimate. Right face to face. And in that moment, he then doesn't just get intimate, but he gets really kind of like gives of himself. I mean, he's given his time, he's given his energy, he's given his reputation, his mana, by even interacting with this guy. So he's given, Jesus is giving a shitload away right now, right? But he also spits, there's, there's, a, there's almost a symbol in the spittle, he's given of himself at this moment, I reckon. He spits, he gives some of, some of who he is, freaking intimate eyes, and he spits into the soil, he takes and he makes a paste, and then he puts on the guy's eyes. And I don't know what we think of that, but the one thing I do think about it is, man, it's messy. Journeying with people in that space, in that time, is bloody messy. It's intimate. It's giving of himself. It's messy. But it's also risky, right? Like, if this goes wrong, this just looks bad. <laughs> if this goes wrong, it's just like me. It's time to put in a report with the cops, and this guy's taking a piss, right? He's just put fucking mad and spittle in blind man's eyes and told him to go find something. There's risk there. Mission and giving our best for the kingdom out there is risky. There's also a sense where what Jesus asked the guy to do is also going, actually, you need to be part of your own healing. This is where I've got it probably wrong in my life a lot in the early years, but especially I was thinking I have to be the saviour for everyone on the edge. Rather than actually a lot of folk, they have to be part, they have to embrace their healing journey themselves. The blind man, that's hard work, man. That's hard work. Being the blind fella going, okay, I've just been spat and I've mud on my face. And I've been told I to find a freaking I've got to find a bloody pool. <laughs> You imagine that, you know, you can't see a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll pick that later. Like, there's a sense where there's a sense of, in Jesus inviting this guy, even though it's awkward, part of your healing journey is for you to embrace it. Do you trust me? And the beauty of that moment is that for something in this man, he goes, this Jesus can be trusted. I'm going to find that bloody pool. I'm going to go wash him. Can you imagine the scene? You still with me? Yeah. Can you imagine seeing the dude? He finds his way. And you can imagine a load of people that, oh, there's that blind guy. What's he got mud dripping off his face for? You know, finding his way, finding his way. And then he hears the pool. It's a pool that's known for ceremonial cleaning. A lot of people would come to that pool near that temple. They'd wash before they go to worship. And they see the unclean person, the ungod person, starting to dip his toes in this pool. Everyone's getting out of the pool. But watching what's going on. 
Yeah, imagine be that guy, you get into the pool, faith in his way, I reckon he just goes, I found out, just falls, falls into the pool, the Lord hits his face, can you imagine the moment he comes out of that water, and you can see, the first time, you can see, I mean, he's probably doing a freaking Highland jig, mate. I don't even know what Highland jig looks like. I can't remember, but he's been dancing, screaming, and going mental. I can see! I can bloody see! You know what I mean? It'd be so good. And it would cause intrigue. It says the whole town was buzzing. I mean, it's such a... Of course, everyone's buzzing. The thing that you long for, man, it goes from, this man is cursed. No, 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 no. God loved that guy. And now it's more of what he was called to be is his present. The kingdom's broken through and it's so bloody good. But what did it require? What did it require? It required, it required Jesus, but also what he invites us is to be a courageous, courageous community of people who see the person that no one else sees, who gets close and intimate, who gives of themselves, who takes a risk and invites Jesus to take them on a journey that they need to walk out as well. God does this thing, and the place is buzzing, buzzing, and some people hate it, that's the thing, the journey doesn't become easy, right, because suddenly there's all these people going, nah, it's not him, he's a dick, whatever, he's a fake, and other people are going, this is amazing, where's God, I want to meet him. So I think what, uh, that's the gospel story, it's quite a good one. What story? Uh, I was going to share one from um, when I was in Calcutta because I'm in my, my day job's coffee and part of my thing. But actually, I wanted to share a wee story from uh, just to, to kind of land this thing um, from probably about a decade ago when I was in, lived in Auckland. Um, and I'm going to call her name, the main character's name, Caitlin. I don't know why. This is so far from her real name. And, um, and hopefully this will be honouring to, to Caitlin, who also kind of brings some of this to life. All right? So about, I don't know, 10, maybe 12 years ago, um, uh, when me and my wife weren't together at that point, me and my wife, but we were in separate houses. We lived in a missional community up in Mount Ross School, and um, we were kind of just, you know, doing bits and involved in our community. And what could I, I don't know, uh, mid-20s, as a community of about... 10 or 12 of us at that point, and so what we did was we did high hospitality, which a lot of you guys also do. And so we had uh, a few people come and live within our two or three houses, I think at that point, um, to live. And one of the girls that kind of came off the, off the street, really, um, she was trying to get her life right and didn't have any safe spaces to live, was Caitlin. And uh, Caitlin was one of those people that was just really, really vulnerable. I mean, she'd had the hard life, she'd been through the system from a young age. Um, uh, but also, uh, she kind of just found our, our kind of place of belonging in the, in the street, Fano, at that time. Um, but kind of amongst her various challenges, had a, a real kind of disability uh, that caused her to shake a lot. And um, some of it was due to probably just trauma from whatever had gone on in the early years, um, but also from some serious drug use and glue use and whatever um, for a long period of time. And she was probably 21 when we, or 20 when we met her. Anyway, she, she was lovely, she was resilient, she was an amazing young woman, good humour, but she had, like I say, uh, really kind of struggles with disability. But she, um, she'd go on her phone, she didn't like wearing glasses because they weren't cool, but she'd be like this with her phone, you know. So there's various things that made day-to-day -day life just really bloody hard. All right? Um, things like 
eating with a fork was almost like, I suppose, the death stuff of this metal box you're shaking all the time. Or going to the toilet. You know, we'd have to, when you're living with someone like that, you have to then clean up the toilet. You don't want to shame them, but there's shit all over the walls because you're shaking after you use the toilet roll. You know what I mean? There's, there's messy, and they become very intimate with this person. And she'd have moments of going back to the, the drugs and back to the stuff she'd come from, and then the moments of getting clean and the gaps would get longer. But you know what I mean? It was, it was difficult. She wanted the best, and it's the best, but she'd get dragged back in by whatever. And, um, and it was a constant thing, and it was years, years of just ups and downs with this amazing but um, quite troubled young woman. And probably something we did was we were really good at kind of social service, really good at serving, but not that good at actually speaking and praying with the person about Jesus, right? In our young, younger years. It's kind of like, you know, it's just to do, do the act rather than the, than the words. But anyway, that was kind of going on, and her street sister uh, also lived in one of our houses, and she um, lived with us for a couple of years, and she was real solid, and she managed to get her kids back, and it was a really positive time for, for her other friend who I called Jacqueline. Um, and she went off up north after a couple of years uh, with her kids, and Caitlin was left in Auckland, and um, something went down with a, a relationship, and she went off the radar. It kind of wasn't unusual, but it was a long, a long time before we saw her again. And uh, are you with me with this story? Is it making sense? Let's change tack with what story I was going to choose. And um, hopefully it's making sense. So Caitlin kind of went off the radar, and it was about oh, close to a year before we heard from her again. And basically she got done for theft, and she was back in the court system, which is probably a real flipping God thing, to be fair. Because suddenly there was people who kind of knew her back involved in her life, and she was down to like skin and bones, like close to death, and um, really, really unwell. Just hadn't been looking after ourselves on the, on the, on the, on the, on the drugs and whatever else, and um, death door, and been told that, and she suddenly had this awakening about it, and she'd also, um, as part of her court stuff, been told that she had to go to rehab. The problem was no rehab would take her because of her disability. So it was a vulnerable person ever, but nowhere in Auckland at that point was set up for someone with that level of addiction and that level of, of disability. Until randomly this Jesus follower, this lady who ran an old folks home, but for old people that had nowhere else to go because they didn't have the money to flip and do it, said, we'll take it in, which is mental, right? So she moves in, this 23 year old at this point, moves into this old folks home in the centre of Auckland, Shares a room with this lady who's got dementia and will sometimes strip her clothes off and run down the hall, right? And then you think, this is not a place for her. And in that space, met Jesus. Full-on encounter with Jesus. Like, crazy, full of Solon stuff. And um, kind of had this God encounter, and she went sober for like a solid, a solid year for a little bit of to and fro, and a bit, bit stayed sober. And my wife at the time um, would... We'd go twice a week and hang out with, with Caitlin, and they would do God reports, good news reports, kind of similar to what you fellas do. So catch up, they'd hang out, and then say, right, she'd go, Caitlin, what's, what's God been up to this week? And they'd talk about it and keep that thing going and go through the scriptures and talk about Jesus and what's going on. It was this really beautiful routine. Well, anyway, kind of long story short, um, our friend Jacqueline, our street sister, was that way up, up north and said, I'm coming down for a, for, a, for a visit. I'll take the kids, can I stay over? I'm like, yep. Yeah. So she was around for a couple of nights and we're doing dinner and, and Caitlin hears and says, can I come for dinner? Love to see Jacqueline. And so uh, they come around and it's this lovely time, right? Having dinner, stunning, it's a good time, she's getting to play with the, 
you know, getting us getting to play with the kids, the baby, and um, all this kind of carry on. It's just a lovely, lovely evening. Just a real privileged evening. And then it's time to go, and so I say, oh, we're going to take Caitlin. And Jacqueline says, can we just leave the kids, and I'll come with, and we'll go in the car. So me and my wife are in the front seats, and Caitlin and Jacqueline are in the back, catching up. And on our way, Anna, my wife, decides, oh, we should do good reports. Right? And um, so that's great. Cool. And, and Jacqueline, by the way, is staunch. She's like, ragged, like staunch. She just never gives away emotion. She's amazing, amazing. You know, we give a high, I think, something I'd say, oh, I'm just really, really God's been in today, and this lovely meal, and all that. So I try to find something to say. And, um, and then it gets, my wife says something nice and more profound. And then um, gets to, to Caitlin. And Caitlin says, the back of this shitty Toyota Camry that we're using all the time, um, says, uh, oh, just, I'm thankful to God for getting to, to be connected again with my, my sis and our kids to see them doing so well. Because I thank God that she's back with her children and it was just a good season and, and I get to be part of that today. And that was lovely. You now you can have a bit of tears, Jack, at the moment. But then, we're about to just stop it there, but then uh, Jacqueline, who never shares, says, no, I'm going to share. And she goes, says, oh, I'm just real thankful to God because we've known each other since we're like 12, 13 on the street and this is the first time we've ever seen each other sober. And it's like I'm seeing, seeing we're like, it's like we're seeing each other with new eyes, like we're really meant to be. And it was just one of those moments, those coolest of all moments where you're like in that crappy Toyota Camry I'm in holy ground. There's this moment of realizing transformation has happened and it's because of Jesus and his people have played a part but the car was buzzing and the town was buzzing and all you want to do is go out there and tell about the buzz that Jesus brings to people that everyone else thinks is a hopeless case. That's that. That's what we're about, isn't it? That's what we want to be about. It's about seeing the buzz of Jesus and the stories of transformation become commonplace. But the part that we play in that with God is to see, is to get close and intimate, to give of ourselves as communities, to flip and take a risk and bring Jesus into the mix and pray for the miracle. And when it happens, we enjoy the buzz and we bring that out of the heart. I just think, man, you guys have got so much. It's so good. I mean, you've got such a great community. And it's so exciting. And you get all that stuff. But to keep on pushing in and looking for Jesus. I was thinking about the one thing. I was asking God earlier, well, what is it? And I share this thing. Hopefully there's some good stuff in there that we've taken notes on. Um, but what is the one thing for a blueprint? And I think the one thing I, I, I thought, and maybe it's helpful me bring sense, is that right at the beginning, remember the thing I said about like Jesus was walking along, the disciples walking along, and I reckon they, there's that thing of something like, oh, he's back there. I said, my, my prayer, I'm going to pray a blessing for you fellas, I think you're legends, but the prayer is, it's so easy to be walking along and getting involved, but then in our involvement, Jesus is kind of, he's kind of like, oh, we're taking off and left Jesus behind a wee bit, you know what I mean? But he doesn't become the focus. It's so easy for the project to become the focus mm-hmm. rather than the person. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you keep that at your heart, you're going to see the transformation. Mm-hmm. 
to enjoy it. All good? Is that alright? Alright, I'm going to pray a blessing upon you and then we'll carry on with uh, the evening. Jesus, I'm super thankful that you walk with us. I'm super thankful, God, that you see in everybody, no matter how messed up we are at times, the beauty and the goodness that is there because we're yours. God continually gift us, God continually gift this community the eyes to see the beauty among the kind of neighbourhood and the streets that we're part of. God give us courage, gift this crew courage to continually kind of not just see, but to get low, to get intimate, to take risks, to give of themselves and to believe that you will bring the transformation. God, I pray a blessing upon them in that journey. I pray a blessing of courage upon this crew. And God, um, we just thank you that that is what you're calling for in the each and every day, to see the opportunity. And we thank you for